The Last of Us Part 2, Gain Ground and McQueen. This is Staying In. One of the things that I get genuinely when I've had a hard day or a hard week or a hard month, I, uh, I come home and I go to the shop just on the way home. And they, it is a magic shop. Is this a secret, Peter? You, you've got very yeah, quite, it's, these it's quite a, hushed tones that you're telling us this. It's a, it's a secret. It's a local Bristol secret. I won't tell the name of the shop because then people will figure out where I live. But um, in Bristol... It's the shop Tesco. No, no. <laughs> ah, no, that is not. The Magical Emporium. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Sinisubberies. I've, I've heard of um, this place. What? Rose. Um... No, it's it's another it's a, an independent little um, corner shop basically, and you go in and you immediately on from the outside you think oh, it's just a normal corner shop, you know the sort of place where you go and buy booze and cigarettes and mucky magazines, but well you do, well I don't buy cigarettes, mate. Come on, I gave that up. Yeah, did 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 correct us on the mucky magazines. <laughs> uh, let's move on. So, uh, like, but you go in and uh, you you think to yourself, oh, just you know, it's it's your average sort of store. And instead, it's not, because you go into the back, the further back you go, the more incredible culinary delights there are available. There is a freezer full of homemade curry. There is a, in packs, there's a... Then you go past the fur coats and there's like a lamppost and no, it's snowing. but you go past, I was like, one time I just thought, do you know what, I need this very specific spice mix. I want, I, I'll just go into the shop on the way home. I'll bet they won't have it. They had it. Not only did they have it, they had the light version. And I was just like... This is incredible. It's an amazing treasure trove of food. And I, and I go in there on the way home and I go over to the freezer section. And I've got a very well-stocked vegetarian area, which I'm very thankful for. And I go in and I dig right into the big, into the big freezer section and I pull out hash browns. I'll pull those hash browns out and I'll go, yes. And then I'll go, I'll dig further deeper in and I'll pull out frozen pizza. And I'll go, oh, hello. I'll put that in as well. And then I'll dig straight deep all the way down. Can I, can I just say, so far, Pete, what you're saying you get from there, that's not special. Hash browns I'll and dig. pizza is not special. I'll dig all, dig all the way down. <laughs> it's like it's a Minecraft level. Oh, I've gone through the hash brown vein. <laughs> I'll, pull out, I'll pull out the final item, which is, you remember those naff vegetarian burgers when you were a kid in school? The ones that were... That were sort of mashed potato on the inside and then breaded on the outside, not the yeah, weird like bean ma- burgers, mashed up ones. Yeah, those ones. It's not it's not beans in it, but it's it's like cauliflower and peas and it's that orange, that bright yeah, orange, yeah, yeah, yeah. like so, like sweet corn and horrible stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I pull out all three of those things and then I go over, I waddle over to the <laughs> to the counter. <laughs> yeah, and he's, then he's I, heavily laden with frozen food. And I go home and I cook all of that and I eat it all and I then I eat that and then I fall asleep. <laughs> And that's it. And that's what I do when I'm feeling like, oh, I've had a hard week. Um, Pete, but you it can is... go to any shop and get frozen hash browns, frozen pizza, and frozen veggie burgers. I think you just need to go to more shops. The co-op near me is very... I'll be honest, I live in a... How to describe it? I live in a very... liberal part of Bristol. And that means that when I go into my co-op, there isn't that junk food because everyone's like, oh, no, I don't want this kind of rubbish littering up our neighbourhood. So I have to go to the little corner shop near me and I'll pick those up and it's great. 
and it's it's in a brown paper bag. Yeah. Heaven forbid the neighbours see what you've bought. Are there, are there, are there, is the food in like kind of plain like boxes without any kind of advertising on the outside that you kind of just like someone's written the yeah. word on it so you, you aren't allowed yeah. to actually show what they are. Just yeah, yeah, right under the counter and stuff. I'll have uh, I'll have I'll have a box of smileys, uh, some McCain oven oven cooked chips, and a magazine of porn, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they call them. <laughs> I've been going through recently a bit of a, I guess not, not like a nostalgia hit. I guess it's like a nostalgia for a time I didn't, I sort of experienced but don't really remember experiencing. So I've been going through stuff like, I mean, I'm nearly at the end of um, the complete series of Seinfeld now. So I started that like, must be earlier in like early this year or like late last year or something like that. And I'm nearly through the entire box set of like nine series. Um, and that reminds me, like, watching Seinfeld reminds me, like, how different a time it was in the 90s when I was doing all of my growing up. Like, we forget about how different things are now. Like, we've only had social media for, like, what, six years? And it feels like it's been around forever. And watching Seinfeld and stuff like that, there's really strange sentences that just wouldn't work in a... And, and situations in this situation, you know, sit, in this sitcom... Um, that just would not work anymore. Like, there's whole plot threads about, well, Jerry agrees to meet with Kramer at the cinema at a specific time, and then Kramer doesn't turn up. And then Jerry is left not knowing what to do. Like, whole threads, whereby now you just go, just just call him on the mobile, won't you? Just call him up. Why would you ever organise to meet at a specific time and place? I don't think that's, I don't think that, like, that specific thing. Yeah, we just meet in town. Where? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just call you and we'll figure it out there from there. But I'm reminded of that. Um, and um, I'm also sort of going down this sort of slight nostalgia train because I'm currently playing Game Ground. <laughs> Have I told you about Game Ground? No. No, you haven't, no. Have I not? Okay, so I just harp on about this on um, Twitter, like, all the time. Um, it's, like, one of my favourite games full stop like it's one of my favorite video games um and i played it when i was very young i used to play it on the sega master system did you guys have a sega master system or a mega drive i had a mega drive mega drive was my first i borrowed the neighbors we weren't allowed a console you weren't allowed one no i didn't get my first console till the, the very first the, the baby ps1 well the little white one yeah that was my first ever console how did okay let's put that the game ground conversation on on pause just for a moment how what what do you mean you weren't allowed one you just they just said you just your folks just said no nah. no they wouldn't buy one for us which is absolutely fine but like we were allowed to play on them so like oh i'd go around and play my mates at n64 oh so you you did have games in your life yeah i had yeah but i just didn't own one that's what i meant oh right 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 uh, but didn't have that pleasure unfortunately but Dan, you're saying you had a Mega Drive. I did have a Mega Drive, yeah. That was my very, very first console. Okay, what games did you have on it? Ooh, Sonic. Uh, all of the Sonics. Um, all right. I had Mickey and Donald's World of Illusion. That's a good game. Um, what else did I have? I'm trying to just remember the boxes. Cause I remember kind of, yeah, those like big chunky cartridges. Uh, do you have Cool Spot? I think I played Cool Spot, but I think I think I played a, a PC version of Cool Spot. 
Okay. Um, okay. Oh, I can't remember now. Streets of Rage. Oh, that's a classic. I did play Streets of Rage. I don't think I ever owned Streets of Rage, but I did play Streets of Rage. Mm. Every, everyone played Streets of Rage. Everyone played Streets yeah, of I don't, Rage. I don't know how I... Because I can't imagine my parents would have bought me Streets of Rage, but I definitely played it. Because, mm. like, Dan, you and I, we lived on the Streets of Rage. We did. We did indeed. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was the term. We, we grew up in yep. such a terrible area. They were referred to as, yep. as the Streets of Rage. You were walking around Brum, punching bins, eating the chicken out of them. I was just, I was just walking around, smacking people in the head with a skateboard. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. really prop. We, ne- we never turned to move. We always strafed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, okay, so, but you, but you, you never played Gain Ground. That that never came up as a. Like, no, uh, I have. I'll be honest with you. Sitting right here, mm. right now, I don't know what Gain Ground you is. Don't know what that is. I know of the name, but that is it. So I. Love Gain Ground, and it was a game I played on the Master System, which came before the Mega Drive. I used to play it around my uh, my friend Anthony's house, and um, he and I would try and play through Gain Ground. And you know, like being dumb kids, we just wouldn't really understand how to play the game, and we'd sort of get as far as we possibly could and then die because you'd run out of lives. Because again, completely different time, time where you had lives. What a bizarre thing! And then you, if you if you got to the end. And, like, you died, you'd have to start the whole thing again. No saves. No, you started no. the game with three lives. And if you oh. didn't earn more, that was all you had. That is... Just thinking about that now actually fills me with anxiety. Just, like, the the idea. I remember there being situations where, kind of, like, it'd be, like, me, my sister, and my mum would be there. And we'd be, like, okay, what we'll, what we'll do is we're going we're gonna to try and play... We're going to play Sonic, and we're going to see how far we can get. Because... Yeah. There was no way of finishing it other than doing it in one sitting. Yeah, and that's bizarre to yeah. think that's a bit, that's not a small game, but you no. had to get to the end. You had to do it in one sitting. How did your mum get on with it? Yeah, how was how was how, how did your mum do? She all right at Sonic? Uh, she tends to just watch. Yeah, yeah. Supervised. She, was, she wasn't really into it, really. Yeah, yeah. She's more the tails to your Sonic. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, so yeah, I absolutely bizarre period of time thinking about that now like games are they were just way too they were just punishing they weren't hard they were just punishing um but there were some really cool ideas that happened in that era that in terms of the like if you think about games and genres as evolutionary paths right so think of like darwinian models of evolution where you have you know a specific genus and then it splits off and becomes something different like what it will try what part of it will continue on and then part of it will split off and go oh okay actually i'm gonna go over here i'm like it starts off as like well look i'm a fish and then it evolves off and goes all right now i'm a frog and then the fish is like all right see you later and then the frog goes off and splits off into all the different Evolution. So that's how it works. Incredible. So uh, Richard Dawkins, watch out. <laughs> um, so um, if you think of video game genres in that way, then you can look at specific genres and you can see how they've evolved from where they've come from. So the very first video game that we think of as a video game is a game called Space War, which is a top-down uh, game played on a, on an oscilloscope, which is rad. Uh, like so, like radar uh, visual equipment is what you play on. Um, so um, basically, a top down shooter, and you have to fly around in the little space. It's all on one screen, and you do all that sort of stuff. And then you would have 
it would then move on and it would become something like asteroids or it would become and then after that you had okay well instead of top down why don't we go side on and you had things like um scramble which was uh which then became gradius and salamander and r type and you would see how these games would they would go okay now we're side scrolling games and they would all go down that angle and then there would be other ones that would be like okay i'm actually galaga and it's still all single screen and it's all top down but now you're just moving left to right so you can see the evolutionary paths of all of these um of all of these games and game ground is at the end is at the dead end of an evolutionary thread because basically it's a top down what used to be called action games um whereby you control a little soldier man or woman or cyborg and you get them to you choose which one you want to go into this this level top down level and then you figure out how to either get your entire party i.e. your individual person then when you get them out the next person you have to figure out how to get each individual party member to this big yellow block that says exit or kill all of the enemies on the map okay and on the map is geometry so on the first level it's like a big grassy plain and then uh, but there are also a couple of little walls now when you press one of the buttons uh, it fires your normal shot which tends to just be one single uh, shot that goes along you know goes kind of like horizontal to you in any direction that you want that you're facing in and then when you press the alternative fire button you do an alternative fire that is something very different and is unique to that character and another cool thing is sometimes you can see little pictorial representations of the other player character models that you can actually go and grab and they're out on the actual battlefield and if you run over to them then you start carrying them and you carry them over to the exit then you get to have them with you as well there's no real sense of like lives or anything like that um it's much more focused on like how many characters can you get because the more characters you have the more choices you have to actually play the game and, and figure out how to get through these maps and the reason that it's an evolutionary dead end is because it's not really trying to be an action game it's got action elements so it is a little bit top down like um playstation one era so like loaded and reloaded um and those kinds of top-down actions you will go along and shoot at this thing and make them explode kinds of games um it is an evolution of that but it's an evolution whereby a good 10 seconds 20 seconds of the start of the game and you're on a timer it's just you sat there looking at the map thinking which combination of abilities and character players am I going to use to get through this area so that I don't die? Like, so that I don't lose any of these characters. Because once they die, those characters are gone. And if you don't have a full complement of heroes towards the end of the game, like, or t to be honest, some of the levels, you just aren't going to get past them at all. And the creator of this game tried to create their own genre and they called it algorithm action um an algorithm action for me is this idea that when i so when i play when i play game ground and i've been playing it because um basically because sega's just released this uh sega classics collection i think it's called um the uh 
the Sega Genesis Classics or the Sega Mega Drive Classics, I think it's called. Um, they just re-released it, basically, because they re-release it on everything. Um, and I picked up Game Ground again. And when I've been playing Game Ground, I feel weirdly calm. Like, it's a really intense action game, but you feel strangely calm about it because you set up these ideas of how you're going to move through this space long before you actually start doing it. But it sounds kind of... And obviously it's a strategic strategy game, but when you describe it in terms of the, the elements of kind of planning your moves ahead and working out mm-hmm. that strategy of how you can do it, it almost sounds like you're describing something like chess kind of kind of thing. Because Yeah, but it's but it's all real time. It's an action game. Like it's not a strategy game. That's yeah. that's the mad thing about it. Like, you're right. It feels like I'm going, Okay, I need to I need to do this, then I need to do this, then I need to do this. Go. And then you try and do it. Mm. Yeah. You say kind of that it's at the end of kind of evolutionary thread, but would you not think that something along the lines of an XCOM or something like that is an evolution on this idea? There's there's little ideas, definitely. There's little like traits and ideas that are that are taken out of absolutely everywhere. And obviously we're always inspired by everything, right? Like in terms of any medium. But there's no, there's no successor. There's no like direct successor to Game Ground. There's no, you can't go onto Steam and get like an indie game that's basically trying to be that, right? Like you can go and find something that plays like Advance Wars. That's on Steam. That's on mobile. Like you can go and find all that sort of stuff. You can find, go and find something that plays basically like Pokemon, or is the next step of Pokemon, like Jade Cocoon, for example. You can see how those games have evolved. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing, like a, a, a sequel to Game Ground. Um, with the sole exception of they did a pseudo-sequel themselves, a sort of re- remake called SX. Um, and then there was like a Sega Ages HD remake or something. Was there not a version on the PS2? Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a HD... So they did a... It was called Sega Ages. And it was on... It was a sort of... It was an HD remake, 3D remake of the first game. And it was meant to be all right. Um, but no, there's no, there's no direct sequel. And... And there's no spiritual successor either. So where games like Galaxian, uh, which would then turn into a, which would then turn into like an Aero Fighters, uh, and then it would have like a Sonic would turn into a Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where where you would see those sorts of things, and there would always be the next thing. Because if you look at something like, you know, you see like Sonic, and then like let's say like yeah, as you say like Crash Bandicoot. Uh, you can see how that would then move on and then the next successor to stuff like Crash Bandicoot and and those kinds of things was stuff like Tomb Raider because back in the day you would hear people talking about Tomb Raider as a platformer and actually it was kind of a a very hard fork off in its own direction of well there is platforming but it's not really a platform and then it creates its own you know its own genre and we we recognize Tomb Raider to be the incredible like genre founder that it is today that would then go on to make Uncharted with Game Ground, there is nothing like that. Like, there's just... This is it. Like, this is the only kind of game. And and maybe somebody will come along and do something a little bit different and, and maybe do another one of these. But you two haven't heard of it, and you're quite into games. Like, and Sega keeps re-releasing it as part of its Sega Classics collection, but no one's talking about it. Like, well, how, how many games are on the Classics collection? There's, like, 45. Exactly. It's massive. But that's... Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, because you go and buy that that collection, and you go, oh, "I'm going to play Sonic One." Absolutely, yeah. Of course you are. Of course you are. Because why would you? Why would you go and figure out what Decap Attack is? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. 
But you can get stuff like Comic Zone on on mobile now. Can you is is yeah. there, can you not get Game Ground on there at the moment? Is there no plans I, for that? Legitimately, I have legitimately sent emails to Sega. <laughs> saying 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 I know that you're doing all of these uh <laughs> just no just emailing them saying there's one thing missing from my potato smiley meal. Exactly exactly. All I need is a little bit of gain ground on my mobile phone. Well it's interesting you you're kind of having this nostalgic trip mm. into some kind your nineties heyday, mm. let's call it. Well, Game Ground was first released in 1988. 1988, okay. but uh, I was playing it in probably 89, very late, 89, 90, um, like going around Powell's houses and stuff like that. Um, Chris, I wouldn't call it a heyday. Heyday, heyday, heyday sort of suggests that the, my best days are over. Well, it's a Wellington Bell curve, again. Because <laughs> um, for me... The game that I think everyone should be talking about after E3 2018, which right. I know it's been and gone, it's it's old news now. The thing that got me really excited was uh, the Spyro Reignited trilogy. Is there is there a new trilogy of Spyro games? Is it new or HD? No, no, it's a remastered. Uh, no, when I say remastered, not just a simple HD port. I think it's right. similar to what they did with Crash Bandicoot, isn't it? It's a similar process. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of rebuilt from the ground up, but still, and this is something they've really worked hard on, still giving you that same kind of feeling of holding that original PlayStation 1 controller. Mm. Everything from the glide, the headbutting, the rolling, everything. They've worked very hard on trying to do this. Mm. So this isn't Insomniac Games. This is, I think, Bob's Toys, I think it is, or Big Bob's Toys. I can't remember the name right. of the company that have done it. But it looks gorgeous. I've, I've seen um, still images of it, and, it, and it, it does look fantastic. It's exactly how I expect it or want it to look. There's the familiar places there. I can play Spyro with my eyes closed. I know every single nook and cranny of that. Really? Were you, were you a really big fan of it then? It's, it's the kind of the one platformer that I know inside out. Um, I'd say for, for me, I, I think I probably had a similar feeling towards Sonic and then later on Crash Bandicoot as you do with, with Spyro. Cause Spyro, I played it, but I don't know. It, it never never grabbed hold of me in the same way that it, it, appear, it appears did for you. Well, this is going to be an exciting autumn for you, Dan. It is indeed. What what better way for Toby to have his first gaming experience? Oh, his first gaming experience will be The Last of Us Two. Oh God, <laughs> don't oh don't set Toby up for that. That's no be... no. I think as we've already established on this podcast, his first gaming experience will be Oddworld Soulstorm. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. That, yeah. that that's already uh, part of the writing, part of the published information of this podcast. That's locked in. Um, so, so what's so good about? Because I never actually played Spyro. Um, what's so good about it? I always kind of looked at it and went, "It sort of looks like a slightly worse." Well, I tell you what. I think in part it wasn't. It was more to the fact that it was a very um, attractive and appealing game to lots of different people in my family. So right. it's one of those games. It was a rare game, a bit like you, Dan. Actually, it was a rare game where me and my siblings could all play it together. We take it in turns, pass the controller. It's had these very bright, gorgeous visuals in which you're just really hopping between worlds, freeing dragons from their kind of crystal prisons, and then finally um, preparing for the big showdown with the the villain named Nasty Nork. 
But I really hope that they, I hope they do stuff that's slightly different. But okay. we'll see. It's a really tricky tightrope, this. I can't imagine what it must be like taking somebody else's baby mm. and then upgrading it for 2018. I, th- I think mm. those kind of things, they can go two different ways. Because if you, if you look at the Crash Bandicoot remake, I think a lot of people kind of played it and kind of went, ooh, this doesn't play quite as well as I remembered. And it's it right. looks nice. but uh. Whereas in the other direction, and obviously it wasn't... Um, visually different but if you look at something like sonic mania um which is obviously looking back that was fantastic and that was very well received um mm-hmm. and obviously it's doing different things in terms of the, the visual style um to what spyro and crash bandicoot did in terms of maintaining that original aesthetic um but th- there are two different ways you can go about it and what sonic mania did really well was was introduce the new features on top not just new features but new elements on top of what you already knew so it'd be interesting to see if they're doing that with Spyro, of having that core game and then kind of looking and saying, well, okay, well, this is the core game. What can we do to enhance it for this yeah. modern audience? Now knowing what we know about games now, now that we have all this kind of history of what works, what doesn't, let's see if we can improve it without fundamentally changing what made the original great. Well, there are a lot of... Because um, it's, it's strange, isn't it, how the games industry keeps going back to these old classics and digging them out and giving them a new lick of life and trying to maybe improve like improve upon the original or at least capture some of the magic of the original like there was a lot of that stuff at E3 of of Final Fantasy 7 and and um stuff that like even you know um Resident Evil 2 Resident Evil 2 like which looks which you know when I heard that they were doing a, an HD remake um I sort of thought to myself, all right, okay, great. Like, uh, hopefully it's more like the Resident Evil 1 remake because that was actually good, whereas the eight, the, the sort of, like, updated ports that, that were on the GameCube were just a bit naff or a, a bit sort of underwhelming. It was a few years ago where you had probably, like, a slew of HD remasters, which, yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, the Metal Gear Solid trilogy that were HD remastered, it wasn't a massive change, really. The games, obviously, were, were the same, um but there weren't all that much difference. Whereas now, yeah. with the ones we just mentioned and with Resident Evil, they are saying, okay, then let's re- remake it, rebuild this game from the from the yeah. from the ground up. And I think that's yeah. where these ones are different now. That it's it's introducing you and you know when you play it that it's not just the old game with a slightly shinier skin on the front of it. You mm. know the kind of it's been built and those kind of things, they can fix the things that were a problem before whilst maintaining the stuff that, that worked. I mean, stuff like Resident Evil 2, you'd have to maintain certain things. The stuff of the fixed cameras and stuff like that, that's in the DNA. As annoying as it was at times, that's in the DNA of that game. So you wouldn't... I mean, I'm assuming they're not dropping that because that, I think that would be a, a, an incredibly bad mistake if they did. Well, they are. <laughs> so so that's the thing. Like, to like, And they, this is the double-edged sword. Like... How how do you go back and do? Because for me, like I'm glad they don't they don't have that fixed camera angle stuff anymore. And some of the stuff that they're doing in RE2's remake is amazing. Like for example, there's a whole new system in there whereby you can actually aim specifically at certain body parts of the enemy. And if you take out their leg, for example, or their arm, um, if you take out their leg, they will fall to the floor and then begin crawling towards you or limping towards you if you take their other leg out they'll begin crawling across the floor with just their hands if you take out one of their arms it's just the one that will be coming after you now 
just from a purely how to make video games perspective, that sounds amazing because to me it's like, wow, I, I can't think of any games that have done that yet. But you're right, that's not Resident Evil 2. That's a that's Resident Evil 2's story in a totally different game engine with probably very different mechanics. I think of Resident Evil 2, I think of the fixed camera angles. I fit yep. I think of when you enter a room the black screen with the door that opens. Yeah, that's very what I, that's what yep. I think of those things. And then the one time when the door opens and before the lights come back up, zombies appear. You're like, ah, that's and then the, the sound before you see them, you hear the zombies. That's what I think of Resident Evil. Don't get me wrong, I I was never a huge fan of Resident Evil games because I was a I was a bit of a wuss. Um, I right. don't like scary things. Um, right. they scare me. Why would I want to experience that? Um, but I did it. I did play some of those games. And that's those are the things that I remember from them. But that's it. Nostalgia is, is like, that's the problem with it. Like, I, I, I agree. Like, why don't they have fixed, fixed camera angles? Like, and it's the same with the FF7 remake, right? Like, that team, first of all, they've split it into three games, which is just crazy. But also, that team that is making Final Fantasy VII as a remake, no one is going to be happy. Like, they can do the greatest job of that game ever. Like, they can make it the greatest game of all time. And everyone will hate it. Or 50% of the audience will hate it. Because it won't have... Because the number of things on there that will annoy people will be so great. Like, oh, what do you mean you changed Barrett's voice acting from that really, really super dodgy... Uh, translation that we did. What do you mean there aren't four different quality models of of uh, qualities of all of the models? That's how, why is that? Uh, like if you change any element of the game, oh, it's not you know like, if it's not turn based combat, if it's not all of the items in the game, if they add items, if they take away items, if they change difficulties, if they make it easier, if they make it harder, if they keep it the same. Visually. That game doesn't look anything like FF7. People people saw FF7 when they were playing it on the PlayStation. They were like, this is what the world looks like. And then you saw it in Crisis Core, and you were like, that's not Final Fantasy VII. That's some weird anime, you know, nonsense. And that's kind of the visual style they're going with for, for, the, for the remake. And it just... I don't know. It's a bit like um, Gus Van... Is it Gus Van Sait who directed the remake of Psycho? It's kind of an exercise. He took... Hitchcock's film and he reshot it verbatim. Yeah, shot for shot. He shot exactly the same. Yeah, shot for shot remake in colour with different actors. And it's an in, it was an interesting exercise for him. It was basically like a classic kind of film school exercise, you know. Find a director or auteur that you kind of whose style that you may want to emulate as part of your learning. And he kind of took it one step further. So you've got the entire film redone verbatim you know the shot type the shot length just different actors obviously a different period but obviously there you you've you've got somebody taking what is essentially a critically acclaimed film an immensely influential film and let's say doing the hd remake of it yeah and 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 it can what artistic licenses can you take with hitchcock in that regard it's interesting right uh, yeah, it, it's just who's going to be happy? The answer: Who, no, no one. one happy. No one's going to be happy. And I'm sure it's a great game. I'm sure it's going to be a great game. I really hope all three of those games sell millions and millions of dollars. And I'm absolutely sure the first one will. The, for me, for me, my favourite thing about E3, I, I sort of looked at some of the games and thought they all looked. Some of the games looked pretty cool. 
but the the thing that I loved um, was the sense of Schadenfreude that I got when I watched the Gears of War uh, mobile game reveal and watching people's piss boil as the Command and Conquer mobile free to play game was announced. Yeah, <laughs> and like all that stuff. Like that was that was the height of E3 for me because it was just like seeing that stuff like kick off on Twitter like oh my gosh new gears of what 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 is this what like and it's like and it's a it's a vinyl like gears of war meets vinyl pop or whatever they're called pop vinyl that as a free to play mobile game with the gears of war characters i was like great this is this is brilliant who dreamed this up a master troll pop funko an absolute master troll. And seeing like the reaction to Command and Conquer coming back, but as a free to play mobile game was just like Oh yeah. I could just oh settle in. Settle in. It was it was actually quite interesting kind of watching some of those kind of events, because obviously every year the, the, the dominant events are obviously Microsoft and Sony, they kind of dominate a lot of it. And and Nintendo as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously you've got stuff like Ubisoft and EA and they they all do theirs but often it's dominated by those big those big two and sometimes big three. And it was for the and obviously kind of they've they they've treated their showcases as as they were called kind of differently over the past few years. And I think this year was very much it was very clear how they were both viewing their audiences in yeah. terms of Microsoft and uh Sony and so Microsoft, it felt like any other kind of year where it was just kind of like quantity over quality. Like we've got all these games. It looked exactly the same. Whereas Sony weren't showing many games, were showing you footage of games they've already announced. I think it's probably because they didn't have anything new to announce. So they said, okay, we'll just give you lots of what you already know about. Yep. But also they they, they try and create an experience with live music and the open. They they opened the whole thing with like a, a 10 minute section where all the audience were in a church that matched up with the last of us. And then they all moved into an arena, which was a bit weird. Um, That's weird. Yeah, it was, but it was really, I found it really interesting just to see those two differences of how they, how they approach Mm. their biggest show of the year. Well, Microsoft of course this year, they were kind of reacting to the fact that the pervading sort of, messaging from people who are who love games is that there are no microsoft console exclusives yeah it's just this idea that where are the games why why would you pick xbox over playstation 4 so i think the reason they came out and just were just like bang here's 40 odd games (laughs) they're like see see you in six months like that was really cool because that was them definitely understanding their community and like responding to it like like yeah, we get you. Okay, we hear you. Yes, we need some more exclusives. Here you go. Here's, I mean, they 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 showed Forza for example. I mean, Forza for me was like, yes, great, cool, brilliant. That's what that, we need more of. That you know, Crackdown and um, a new Halo and like like it's a box ticking exercise of just yes, all like, different things. like you will get your Halo. You will get your you know whatever. And that's that is what they needed to do because like genuinely that was becoming a really I think embarrassing sort of thread line for them at that time of like well, why would you pick that unless 
like the only reason you would pick Xbox One, I think, last year if you were buying a new console is because your friends had it. Otherwise, yeah. like you would you would definitely go grab a PS4. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's really cool that they've announced so much stuff because it makes it makes the race better. Like it makes absolutely competition will always improve yeah. things. So at the at the moment, I think it's quite telling that on the flip side, Sony announced nothing really. Yeah, it, it very as I just said there, it felt very much like they didn't have anything anything in a position to announce that was big. So they just went the other direction and says, you know, these four games, so we're going to give you features of these, and this is going to be our way of showing you what this is our decision. We've chosen to do it this way. Well, no, yeah. you've been kind of forced into doing it this way, and you've made the best of a bad situation. Not to say that what yeah. they showed wasn't great, and there was some lovely stuff. Um, some stuff that I'm really excited about, some stuff that I'm not sure about, some stuff I'm thought, meh, don't really care. Um, but there just wasn't anything new. I guess, yeah, but I guess if you're in a position of dominance, right? Like, Oh, yeah. There was no, but for me, there was nothing for me to get excited about beyond what I already know. For me, I think it's a it's a, it's a a boring one. But it, And it was the one that I was probably most looking forward to going in. Go on. And that's that still remains The Last of Us Part 2. Um, I just think, especially in the trailer they showed, the the two halves of it, the the kind of the cutscene, I thought was incredible. The the kind of the work they are doing there in the modeling of of the kind of the motion capture and the performances is insane. Um, right. To the kind of the the little micro expressions that make those characters come alive everything about that and then i love the fluidity of the gameplay now obviously this is a this is a trailer shown at e3 they're going to show it in its best possible case with the best possible player um when it's me playing it's not going to be as fluid (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to stumble and bump into walls and all that jazz i get that but when toby's playing though absolutely yeah (laughs) I was very disappointed to see uh, some of the feedback that they got comparing the kind of um, having the, the cutscene of uh, the character of Ellie and Dina, I think it was, um, a kind mm-hmm. of romantic relationship there, mm-hmm. uh, juxtaposed against the kind of the violence of the, of the gameplay and people saying that the only reason they'd put the violence in was because gamers want that and that kind of thing. And I people complaining about the lead character being Ellie and stuff like that. And I think actually I've got a, a tweet from someone, a Naughty Dog called Boone Cotter, who says, if you're so socially and culturally inept that the option to play a video game as a female gets you all worked up in a frothy nerd rage, my name is Boone. I make games, but not for people like you. Your kind is done, mate. Do everyone a favour and f*** off. You're embarrassing. <laughs> oh, gonna... There we are. Sam's got his little beat button out. Um, hey, that was in the tweet. That was in the tweet. Um, that's not come out of me. That's someone else did that. I, I like that as a if people had complained about that. As unfortunately, there are sectors of the game playing uh, audience that will react in that way, and I like that as a response. Yeah, yeah, I like that as well. I like the fact that we can start saying things like, "Hey, guess what? We ain't making games for you. Like other people can make those games for you. That's fine." But if you don't like two girls kissing, then guess what? We ain't making a sh- we ain't making a weird zombie shooty game for you. <laughs> what a strange what a strange dynamic that is. Yeah. Like it's just like so you're not comfortable with two 
to people who love each other showing their affection for one another oh we're not making you a game about plant zombies then (laughs) (laughs) very strange but um, no good good on them what did you guys think because you've been quite quiet as I mentioned The Last of Us I feel like you're not that enthused I am Dan it's just that like I, I love The Last of Us it's an incredible game it's just every time I think back to my experience of playing it I just remember just wanting to have like a little glass of whiskey after every level it's just for me it was such a tense experience the last of us an incredibly tense experience i mean it reminded me of films such as say like the road say for example which i know is another film that you like down and the book you like as well like is a strong um, word because it's, it's yeah a, i know it's yeah, a, it's, that's the thing how do you it's about how you kind of i it would depend for me it would depend for me what where my head is at when I play the game? I I if if my head is there when it comes out and I want to buy it, I will buy it. I will play this game because I have to because I, I know I will enjoy it. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the kind of game that you you don't just throw on as a casual Saturday afternoon, couple of hours. You need to <laughs> yeah. be in the right frame of mind to 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 properly appreciate it because it's trying to do interesting things. It's trying to tell an interesting yeah. story. So you need yeah. to be able to be in a be in a frame of mind to be able to engage with that. I'm really happy that, well, I'm really happy that people are happy that Last of Us 2 is coming out, right? And there's a distinction there, because I don't think that game needs a sequel, because I think that ga- that first game, which I didn't like, I think it has probably the one of the best endings in all video games, because they actually knew how to end it. Like, they were like, here's an ending that's not an explosion. Like, which is pretty cool. Um... I thought they ended that game really, really well. Out of the four of us, who do you reckon is the most fashionable? Well, one of us wore a suit with a rucksack inside. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I think those two things cancelled each other out yeah, somewhat. So, <clears throat> so not so not me. Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, I mean, Dan, you've got a. You've certainly got an eye for fashion. Whether or not it's a good eye, I don't know. Surely everyone has an eye for fashion. But you've got a very specific style that you go for. You've got the... You go for the I am a 45-year-old man. Like, look. Do I? The flat cap. The, uh, the... What else? The tweed jacket. The, uh, the copy of, uh, the Inquirer underneath the arm that I always see. (laughs) The, the... The twirling cane. Huh? The, uh... Go on. I'm, I'm curious the, as to how you see me. The, um... The monocle. The big handlebar moustache. <laughs> the monocle. You, are you just describing me as the guy, f- the, the, the character from Monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, here's another question then. So, have you, any of you ever heard of Alexander McQueen? Yes, I have. No. There you go. I think Dan wins it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's the litmus test. So Dan was Dan was right about McQueen and I was right about fashion. Yes. That's extraordinary. Well you know you know that one of those trends, Pete, where you'll get you'll see people wearing like like shoes, like trainers' shoes with very thick soles. Yeah. That's Alex that's Alexander McQueen. He was basically the he was a fashion designer, British fashion designer, and one of the one of his kind of trademark designs, let's say. And I'm rendering him a disservice here because ultimately he was an extraordinary human being. 
one of the things that people may not realise is him is is that style okay. that has been copied and emulated in various different ways. So so he's a he's a, he's like a fashion designer, like catwalk fashion. He was a fashion designer, yes. Okay. So um, I went to see um, a documentary cinema a couple of nights ago called McQueen, uh, which basically tells the story of his life. Um, he tragically died at the age of forty. So the kind of documentary is kind of split into two halves really you you kind of see him as a young man and he was what i love about what i loved about the man was that he was just a bit of a, a bit of a chancer he was always particularly early on in his career he was always living on a shoestring he's certainly not someone who you when you think of a, a fashion designer he's not the he's not who you'd have in your mind he's not that picture in your mind no he's he's kind of like he's kind of like a, he was an east ender kind of uh guy um Grew up in a very loving family. Uh, didn't really take much of an interest in school, except he loved drawing clothes. And he just blight, he just, he, he just literally walked into Savile Row and just said, look, I can, I, I can do good work, good work here. And they were just, there was this kind of just look they gave him saying, okay, I'm curious. I'll, let's, let's try out, see how you get on. And he basically did that with every job. He'd just walk in. He'd just walk in and says, look, I can, I can fit a suit better than anyone. Get, you need to give me a job. And this is just how he kind of worked his way, learning the skills. And he became so good that he, you know how so, some people, when they are fitting a suit, they then get the tape, okay, it doesn't quite fit. I'll get, I've seen this now because I've been doing the rounds with Sam, doing suit fittings and stuff. Right, right. You know, they'll get the tape measure and they'll make slight adjustments. He would just walk up with a pair of scissors and just by eye, just cut it and trace it himself in material. Whoa. Extraordinary human being. Um, but like he's one of these people we all know him where there's something really lovable about him. There's also something that kind of keeps you a bit of a distance. I'll say stuff and think, oh, I wish they hadn't said that. I was beginning to really like them. Oh right. And he just didn't give a shit. I'm sorry, Sam. You have to bleep that. What anyone thought of him at all? And he created fashions that were so bold. He created shows that were just performance art, essentially. Right. But he was doing it on a shoestring. Like the clothes show, the BBC clothes show in the nineties were interviewing him, but he had to turn his back to the camera because he was he was funding the show on his doll money and he didn't want to be seen on camera because, <laughs> you know, he'd get arrested for that. Right. And then he went from that to headlining Givenchy, you know. So suddenly he's just parachuted into Italy with his mates. Like one of the people he hired was just like a neighbour. He just, he just knocked on the door and says, hello. And she says, oh, yeah, I do hair and design. He says, oh, do you want to come and do my next show? And then she ended up joining the crew. And his shows were just these extraordinary kind of spectacles. And, and it's about how he, as this person who didn't care what anyone thought of him, who wanted to shock in a kind of almost Artodian fashion from his audience, um, had to cut butting heads with the fashion world. Do you listen to the podcasts when they go out? Yeah. Well, I, I edit half of them. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, when they've been editing, they go out on, into the audio pipes. Um, like I, I listen, I listen to all of them, obviously, because I, I like the sound of my own voice. And obviously, hear, hearing, uh, hearing what you like, the sound of my voice. Um, we started saying at the end of them now, though people skip over it. Uh, uh, we started saying at the end uh, that people can send us an email uh, to stayinginpod at gmail.com um, and basically people can like listeners can basically ask us a question any question and we'll maybe read it out 
um, and it's sent to us via email or they can send it to us via DM on Twitter or on Facebook uh, or anything like that. And uh, we've got our first one. We've got our first question. Ooh. I know. I'm excited. Know. So I'm I'm not really sure what to ex- I'm not really sure what to expect from all of these because whenever we've whenever we're chatting with the, our listeners and we have like a few now. Like, first of all, shout out to whoever it is that's rinsing our back catalogue in Vietnam. I see you. <laughs> I see you in our stats. It's amazing. And thank you. Uh, uh, but basically, um, it, it's really cool when we, whenever we like it's like get to chat with some of the some of the people who listen but i'm never quite sure what, what what's going to happen so anyway i don't know what's going to happen with all these questions but i hope to hope it hope it you know hope to do a few more of them anyway we've had a question from uh on uh, via twitter uh, via twitter dm from at lane it 360 who i think is a long-term listener so uh, thank you for that um so the question is right um question is i need some thoughts uh, i'm gonna quote unquote design a game uh, using the standees from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Munchkin, the zombie standees from Dead of Winter, and the board from Zombicide. And it's going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus zombies. That sounds amazing. Uh, I still have to come up with some gameplay, and I have the start of the idea for the fiction. Does this sound interesting in any way? Uh, obviously, it's just going to be for my group of, uh, for me and my group of friends. Um, and um, uh, basically, I, so so he sent me a, a, a link to like so basically these standees are sort of like cardboard standees, and they got pictures of the turtles. Yeah, yeah. But like the the comic book turtles, not the cartoon turtles. Um, and then uh, the sta- and then obviously Dead of Winter. Well, Zombicide is lots of zombies. Uh, so like the 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 board would be like streets and those kinds of things. I suppose in in it's kind of like Left for Dead, Zombicide kind of stuff. Um, and then Dead of Winter, the zombie standees. So I guess just the zombies look, look particularly good in Dead of Winter. Um, so I guess the question is like, does Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus zombies sound like a good thing? Uh, and what sort? I, I, and also he's coming. He's trying to come up with gameplay at the moment. Like, what is that game? What does that game look like? Well, I think that in terms of the gameplay, I think yeah you've absolutely got to be utilizing some kind of sewer system to be yeah. able to navigate the map with 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 the turtles um oh right so so there's a map right that you're on and then can you go underneath the map in the i mean sewers? i'm not familiar with the zombicide map if there's a okay. way of being able to adapt it's like so you a, can it's like a it's like a street but you could like yeah imagine looking down and you remember grand, the original grand theft autos down where it's top down on the city imagine it looks like yeah. that essentially i would say if you're able to create a sewer system that you could yeah. basically sit underneath that would yeah. enable the turtles to kind of navigate around the board yeah. easier um yeah. but obviously because they're outnumbered that's their disadvantage compared to the zombies there are more zombies than turtles but turtles can get around quicker obviously mm-hmm. that then gives you opportunities later on in the game to then to ramp up the difficulty the zombies could gain access to the sewer system as well right so that that kind of thing could happen. So is this like a miniature war game? Like is this like it, a skirmish it, game where you got to go around and shoot it stuff? It feels and... like a strategy game. It feels like a yeah. kind of a um, like a space Hulk type is, mm. is my, my my thinking. That's how it yeah. feels to me. And obviously, like some some people are taking on the role of turtles. Some people are taking on the role of zombies, and they're kind of battling against each other in kind of strategic ways. Oh, okay. So so it's not like. It's not like each player is one of the turtles. For example, I would be Raphael. 
cool but rude. Um, uh, and Dan, you would be Donatello, does machines. Uh, Sam would be the. <laughs> <laughs> very I, 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 would have thought, I would have put Chris as Donatello. Do you think so? Yeah. Which one, which one are you then? We, I feel like we have this conversation like every other episode. I don't think we've ever had this conversation. Who's 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 Michelangelo? That's Sam, isn't it? That's Sam. He's the, he's the Joker of the lot. <laughs> um, yeah. No, you're right. Chris 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 does machines, and Dan is the leader. Um, okay. He's the wild card. I'm cool but rude. So uh, so so it's not a case of like we would individually play those characters, and then like somebody else would play the zombies, or like maybe the zombies would be automated by like doing dice rolls and stuff. It would be like. Instead, it would be one person is all the turtles, and maybe I don't know, April O'Neil and Irma. I would say uh, I would say depending on the, no- I would say you have your four turtles. Yeah. I would say you have a set number of zombies. Yep. Um, and then depending on however many people you have playing, that number gets split into two teams. Yep. And then the pieces are divided up. So, for example, if on each team there are four people, then on one side you've got four turtles, four people. On the other side, all the zombies are divided into four, so you have four then teams of them that they can move around as they wish in kind of gotcha. hordes and swarms. But obviously, if okay. you've got only two people, it's one-on-one. Yep. Can I throw in a little bit of gaming equipment so you might want to use, component that you might want to use from another game? Cool. If he takes like the Trivial Pursuit kind of cheese things, you can use that as lives like it's a pizza. Oh, oh yes! That is there excellent. You- well, there you go. There you go. I like the idea of Dan's idea of the sewers because, but instead of having like a separate map of sewers, mm. you could literally just have a, a, a whatever that decides that whether it's a dice roll or a card that's played where a character can pop under the sewer, and then they're just removed from the board, and then they can pop out yeah, at yeah, another yeah. point somewhere else on the map. Yeah. So they're using that underground sewer network. Um, whether you also want to have the kind of the enemy, let's say, being you versus the game. I'm just thinking I love those kind of games like Forbidden Desert, say, for example. That's a very light version. It's not quite Space Hulk. Especially if you're going to make it for your friends, right? Like, if you're going to make it for you and your pals, you want to be you want to be the turtles going up against the zombies. You don't want to be like, some of you are the turtles and some of you are the zombies. You want to be like, we're all the turtles and we're going to try and beat the zombies. So some sort of, like, automated... Well, you could have a game mode where there isn't like a uh, a card system that controls the zombies. So you could have one oh, against the other, yeah. or you could have as a co-op. You could have that as a co-op or a competitive na- element where it's turtles versus zombies. Because that's the game. So that's the core mm-hmm. game. If you do want it to be cooperative, there is a card system to allow to tell you that you shuffle, and that tells you where the zombies go. Okay, there you go. Then that, uh, that's that. That's our that our take on that question. And then we would like a finished copy of the game sent through with the appropriate credits added to us. Please please send us your uh, game design document uh, when it's ready. That we can copyright and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, just straight up, Dan, we will not be able to copyright Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> just, no. I'm just saying I'm pretty that. Sure. Pretty sure it's... All... I'm pretty sure it's... it's... It's locked down. Pretty sure that one's locked what down. What if they're middle-aged? Middle-aged kung fu tortoises. Mi- yeah. <laughs> did did I ever tell you I was in a play once? It was like a devised play that we wrote in like uh, a couple of hours. And in fact, the playwright was still writing it while we were on stage and was handing page, pages of the script to us while we were performing. It was in the student union. But his concept was that 
we had Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, Leonardo, but we were the original artists, not the turtles. <laughs> and we were under the sewers because the enemy above was modern art. And we were down in the sewers plotting our way to kind of return and retaliate against modern art. And I was Raphael. You were Raphael? Yeah, but I played him like the turtle, even though he was the sculptor. That is some poor casting. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. But Pete, have you ever seen any documentaries at the cinema? Mm. Does the Super Mario Brothers movie count? No. Oh. Is that a documentary though, Pete? Um, I mean, it is a documentary in like what would happen if King Cooper came through and then uh, what, Danny DeVito or whoever it is playing uh, Mario. Uh, is it uh, Dan, do you want to correct him? Or is it Let's just leave it. Let's just, I mean, obviously he, me and Chris knows and obviously everyone listening everyone to this knows. would also know. So let's just let Pete stay in the dark. And like the guy who plays Bowser is... That was like one of his last movies as well. Oh man, video game movies have like taken so many stars from us. Like Raoul Julia's last one was Street Fighter. Christ. That was Staying In with Peter Willington, Daniel Frost and Chris Darby. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe so you get the latest show as soon as it's released. Also, if you like what we make and you listen to us on something like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or CastBox, for example, then we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, a comment or you just make us one of your favourites. Information on all the things we've talked about on this episode is at stayingin.podbean.com, where there's also details of how you can get in touch with us if you've got a question for us to answer. And of course, there's also links there to our Steam Curator and Board Game Geek pages, as well as our Twitter and Facebook info. But for now, thanks very much for listening.